Yes, Lord, we just want to surrender this morning to you, God. We want to surrender our hearts to you, Lord. We want to surrender this service to you. And God, we just ask right now, Lord, as we step into this present, this yours, God, that you would be speaking to us, God. That we'd be searching our hearts, Lord. That you'd be shining your light in areas of our lives that you want to speak into, God. And so, God, this morning, we just want to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you grab a seat, church? Good morning. Is everyone doing well? Oh, there's a lot of people here today. We've got like people sitting at the front where it's usually quite empty. <laughs> it's good. All cozy at the front here. So my name is Sharon. For those of you who I have yet to meet, um, my role here is a bit of a mishmash of everything, but that doesn't really matter. <laughs> you don't need to know. <laughs> Hey, before I begin, I just want to give you guys a quick update on um, the next few weeks so that you guys know what's coming. So today we're actually going to be getting stuck into the second topic of our self-help, no, not our (laughs) self-help, of our first Corinthian series, um, The Battle, uh, called, and today's message is called uh, Self-Help Versus God Help, uh, where we'll be looking at the difference that God's wisdom makes Um, in each of our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then after this, hang on, let me figure out what this looks like. This iPad thing. Ah, there we go. And then after this, uh, we'll be switching gears a little bit um, to begin a three-week money and faith series. Um, And as part of this, we'll be offering two free financial workshops as as part of, through UFIT, as Pastor Kyle mentioned this morning with the announcements. Um, So that's with Brett Ryan, on Friday, the 28th of July, about money and marriage, as well as Damien, who's going to give us all the tips about how to make our money work for us on that same Sunday, the 30th of July after church. Now, both of these are completely free, and um, you know we'd, it's open for anyone to come along. So we'd really encourage you to do bring your friends, invite people along, and come to that. So we, it'd be really helpful for us also if you could RSVP. Uh, so that we can kind of set up the rooms and cater as well for that. Um, You'll find all the details on our website if you missed it before. Now, after the three weeks, we'll actually come back to 1 Corinthians for a couple of weeks um, and have a guest speaker as we do a pulpit swap with uh, one of the Together for Clayton Church Pastors uh, network and then finish off the 1 Corinthians series on Father's Day. Now, I know that seems very confusing and very, like, you know, chopping and changing things, but in our planning, we really believe that God is still sovereign over our preaching calendar um, and control over our schedule. So we're just going to roll with it and trust that there is a reason for how the series has worked out, okay? So what we see as interruptions are often God's way of drawing our attention to wanting to say something to us, Amen. Okay, let me just pray and we'll get stuck into it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning, God. We thank you for the new members. Thank you for uh, the way that our church is growing, not just in numbers, but in depth, Lord, in our love for you, God, and also in in the way that we are learning more about you, learning how to represent you, and learning how to um, journey and walk along with you in your life, God. 
And so God, this morning we really ask for um, you to be speaking, you to be working, you to be stirring our hearts and helping us to use our inner ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. And so God, we, we thank you and we pray, Lord, that you would um, make yourself known, make your presence known to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're diving into First uh, Corinthians, and over the last two weeks we've heard um, how the church in Corinth were wrestling with a lot of issues. The Apostle Paul was writing to them and saying um, that they were quarreling and fighting over many things because they weren't living by the Spirit. Now, Pastor Paul then spoke to us last week about the battle between our self-rule and God's rule in our lives. Um, and there's some really practical questions to ask ourselves uh, about whether what we're wanting to do is beneficial for us, whether uh, God is in control, or whether that particular issue is controlling us um, and letting these things um, you know, take over our lives. Who found that helpful? Yeah, I, I found it helpful as well to be able to kind of ask myself these questions um, and, and kind of assess where I stand well, today we're going to be taking a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and it's quite a long passage. I'm reading the whole chapter. Um, so if you do have your Bibles and want to follow along in your preferred translation, you can definitely do that. Or I will have the living translation up on the screen. Now that's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul's message of wisdom. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. My message and my preaching were rather plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Yet, when I am among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means those who require who, those who are spiritual can evaluate all things but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others for who can know the lord's thoughts who knows enough to teach him but we understand these things for we have 
the mind of Christ. I love the letters to the Corinthians. It's so packed full of drama and juicy goss. <laughs> it's actually the number one New Testament church that we know the most about um, as readers of the Bible because of the two long letters that Paul wrote to the church. Um, and we can also read more about God's, you know, of Paul's time with this church in um, Acts 18, where he spent 18 months with this Corinthian church. It's a significant chunk of time because Paul often would uh, go visit towns and cities and then preach once or twice and then move on to the next thing um, that God was calling him to. But he actually went to Corinth to preach to the Jews. Um, but then, unfortunately, the Jews kind of didn't receive his message well and they dragged him to trial because they thought he was teaching something contrary to the Jewish laws. And the synagogue leader at the time who kind of let Paul preach at the synagogue um, was sticking up for Paul. You know, he was like, I believe this guy's message and you know, what he has to say is, is true. And so the synagogue leader then got beaten up because of Paul. Um, and so then after that, Paul switched his time and energy to then reach the Gentiles in the city and stayed in Corinth for a whole year and a half, planting and nurturing this church and journeying with the people. Now, five years ago, um, Jeff and I actually got to visit Corinth, uh, ancient Corinth, during our honeymoon. Is that really nerdy, like, to, to go see biblical lands on your honeymoon? Um, and this thing, this thing behind us, the beamer, was actually the place where Paul was trialed when he was in Corinth before the proconsul. Good thing I actually took a picture of the, the information plaque because it was really long and I was like, oh man, if I looked back on this picture, I'd be like, why did we take a selfie here? It's so random. <laughs> it's just some, it's like a wall and, and some like block of land. Um, but this is, yeah, this is the place where uh, Paul was trialed um, and where I'm suppose, I suppose the um, synagogue leader got beaten up as well. Anyway, so when we were there, we realized that Corinth was actually located in a very interesting spot because of how thin the land is. So if you kind of look on Google Maps, this whole area at the bottom is like a big piece of land. Um, and this narrow path in the middle here um, was actually where Corinth was located. Um, because of how thin the land is, lots of ships and um, boats and stuff would stop here, unload, and then reload on the other side um, where um, they could kind of continue their journey. Because if, if the ships kind of go around the land and then go through the Mediterranean Sea, um, a lot of them actually sunk in the rough seas and ocean. So nowadays, um, they've actually built a deep canal here um, where they, um, yeah, big ships can go through to the other side without stopping. Um, but just think about it. Like, with so many sailors and travellers and people stopping at this port so often to get to the other side of the Roman Empire. Um, it was a bustling city. It was a huge mix of different people and cultures. It was like the Las Vegas of the Roman world. I read in one commentary that um, said um, a Greek writer, you know, a Greek writer would comment that if a Corinthian was to be portrayed in a Greek play, he would often be drunk on stage. That's like, these are like party people, you know. Not only were these people like drinking hard and partying hard, Corinth was most famously known for the worship of the Greek goddess of love, Aphrodite. So that, you know, all that sleeping around that Pastor Paul was talking about last week um, was because that everybody did that at the time. That was the norm. That was what the town was actually really known for. Oops, what did I do? 
yeah. So they had literally had these ladies um, that worked at the temple, and then also they had they made like clay. Do we have the grade sixes here? <laughs> we had that like clay models of like people's private parts um, that were like being hung on the temples, um, being displayed on the wall so that people could come and worship and and give offerings uh, to these things. Like this was how secular this place was. And this was the Corinthian church's challenge. And in a way, it's our challenge today as well. How do you live as a Christian in such a secular world where people around you, where everyone just did as they pleased? How do you navigate issues that go directly against God's design and um, for, our, for our lives and for, for us as well, for our society? Was the church influencing the city or was the city influencing the church? I'm sure many of us have been in similar situations where, you know, whether it's being invited out to like a wild night out with our colleagues or questionable bucks or hens parties, being asked to do something dishonest at work, pressure from others about our stance on touchy hot topics of our time. Do we just blend in and do what the crowd is doing? Or do we speak up and take a stance? To be honest, some of these issues aren't as black and white as they seem. Because most of the time, it's not that simple. For many of us, the everyday decisions that we have to make um, in life often sit in this grey area. You know, which job should I take? What, what should I do about this employee? What kind of person do I date and marry? How do I navigate this relationship with my, um, my family? How do I spend my time and my money? What course should I study when I graduate from high school? How should I discipline my children? Sure, we can make these decisions based on the advice we get from others, on what the world tells us is popular, safe or secure. We could even make a pros and cons list or you know, turn to what we know as logical. But as Christians, we actually have another way. In the first chapter of this letter to the Corinthians, which you can read in your own time, we read chapter 2, but in the first chapter, we find out that the Corinthian church at the time was actually quarreling over who they each followed. Apostles like um, and teachers like Paul, Apollos, Peter had been through the city and the town, and as they spoke and taught at the churches, people started taking sides. They started going, you know, forming groupies and decided, I like this person better. You know, I like that person better. Um, that, person, that leader is better than your leader. And some of us are a bit like that today, aren't we? Oh, I like Stephen Furtick. Oh, no, John Piper is better. Oh, no, I only like it when Pastor Chi preaches. You've completely missed the point. Though I do admit Pastor Chi is quite good. Where is he? <laughs> but here, Apostle Paul is saying, rise above the humanness of it all. And instead, look for the wisdom of God and what the Spirit is saying through the servants of his. People can be eloquent, charismatic, use smart words, and have really likable personalities. But so what? For Christians, wisdom doesn't come from these things but by the Spirit of God. Even the foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. The mystery of God is that his wisdom will seem foolish to those who aren't living by the Spirit. We see this throughout the Gospels as Jesus teaches about his, this upside-down kingdom where the first will be last and the Least will be the greatest. To love our enemies, to turn the other cheek. An upside down kingdom where those who mourn 
and are persecuted or insulted are seen as blessed. An upside-down kingdom where God chooses to use a lowly, weak, flawed, and unlikely men and women to do his work. A kingdom where weakness is seen as strength. And Jesus conquers death and sin by dying on a sinner's cross. One of the most challenging concepts of Christianity is that the things we value on earth is often of little value in the kingdom of God and vice versa. You know, we look up to those who achieve amazing things. We, you know, want to be like those who are successful, who earn a lot of money and live in comfortable lives that we want. And yet God's ways are not our ways. When I first became um, full-time ministry, my family and I actually had a lot of conversations about the decisions I was making for my life. So you're never going to get a pay rise, my dad would ask, (laughs) as we talked about my supporter-funded salary at the time. I don't understand why you're making all these big decisions based on this one story and this one book, my brother would say. Literally everything from your studies to your work to where you live is based on this one story. It's so stupid. But here's the thing. The average person will make decisions on what, based on what will make them successful. What the world tells them is good, what seems right, what will help them climb the social and economic ladder. But as Christians, we have the Spirit of God who knows all things, who searches all things, and reveals deep things of God to us. If you've ever wondered what you're supposed to be doing in life, what next steps you need to take, what direction you need to go, what Jesus would do, what the Father thinks, what only he knows, well, guess what? You can. Because no one knows a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts, except God's own spirit. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. I can be so confident in making my life decisions from my early 20s all the way to now because of the relationship I have with the Holy Spirit. You know, when God told me to drop out of uni and to go to Bible college to pursue a life of ministry, it seemed absolutely crazy. While all my friends became doctors and lawyers and accountants, like good Asian kids who picked sensible careers that would secure them a good salary and future, I knew it would be difficult to convince my non-Christian parents to let me do what I thought God was asking me to do. As the eldest daughter of my Asian family, <laughs> the expectation was for me to you know, earn a good living or marry rich so that I could financially provide and care for my parents in their old age. So God, if this is what you're asking me to do, you absolutely have to make a way. And of course he did. Even though my mom thought I was being brainwashed, and my dad sat me down and talked me out of it, by the end of the conversation we had, my parents were in full support of whatever I wanted to do because of the conviction I had of what the Spirit of God had said to me. When the Lord asked me to quit my job with the mission organization I was with um, to work at church, I told him that's stupid. Why would I go backwards and serve in a church when there was still so much need out there? There are literally thousands of Christians here in Australia who could do this job. Well, the harvest is plenty and the workers are few in global missions. And yet, here I am, using my gifts I never knew I had to serve and build you guys up so that my impact in this kingdom can be multiplied 
through you. I've been called here to do this so that you can go out and do what I cannot do, serve in ways that I cannot serve and reach the people that I cannot reach. That is the wisdom of God. At every turning point in my life, I can be confident in the decisions I make because I've encountered the Lord of heaven and earth speak and direct me in his path for his name's sake. Because when the Holy Spirit speaks, there is wisdom, there is power, and it makes what's seemingly impossible come to pass. His Spirit, in line with his written word, it's really important that we do know his word, and not just hearing things that we think is from God. His Spirit, in line with his written word, reveals the mind of Christ and the heart of God to us. As Christians, we can tap into the infinite knowledge, the wisdom, and the resources of the almighty God that the Holy Spirit gives us access to. Has there ever been a time when, um, at Jesus' command, you've stepped out of your comfort zone to pursue what seems foolish or impossible? Or have you been safe all your life, making low-risk decisions by drawing upon what you know from human wisdom and the natural world? In Matthew 14, when the disciples saw Jesus walking in water, They witnessed a miracle. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water, Peter said. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. Whether it's stepping out of a boat, quitting or pursuing a job, making a seemingly risky business decision, or even tackling a difficult conversation, sometimes God will call us to do something that seems foolish in the eyes of the world or outright impossible. Peter saw and heard God call him to come. But instead of setting his eyes on Jesus, who was already ahead of him and already walking on water, Peter took his eyes off him and focused instead on the strong winds and waves. What in the natural world is causing you to take your eyes off Jesus and follow after what he has called you to do? Is it security? Fear of the unknown? Fear of failure, fear of shame or appearing foolish. Is it pride, significance, the need for approval, acceptance, safety, relationships, losing your family or your own mind? Because of these things, we then realize, hang on, because of all these things, we realize that the Son of God is Lord over even the wind. Because of, what did I, what did I mean by that? <laughs> because of all these things, because all these things, oh, oh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Because all these things are when we realize that the Son of God is Lord over even the wind and the waves. And his, at his command, the storms will cease. The winds will stop and the oceans will calm. There is no obstacle, circumstance, or situation in which God is not greater. Nothing, and I mean nothing, that Jesus is not Lord over. Not only can he calm a storm and sustain you on the surface of the water, 
He can even split the seas so that you can walk on completely dry land. So why do we doubt? Don't minimize God's authority and lordship just because the problems in your life seem greater. When we set our eyes on Jesus and recognize him as Lord over the wind and the waves, he will make a way. Rise above our circumstances. Rise above your worldly human wisdom and hear the spirit of the Lord speak. Because wisdom doesn't come from old age. It doesn't come from experience. It doesn't come from great education. True wisdom comes from the spirit of God, the mind of Christ. And we have this through the ministry of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, don't copy the behavior of the customs and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. But here's the other thing. It's not all just about external things. It's not just about the things that we do in obedience to God, but also our inner life. Before God calls us to do anything, he's calling us to be. Have you ever been in a conflict situation or a circumstance that made you extremely angry, frustrated, hurt, or even sad? Of course you have. We all have. When life happens, these bursts of emotion can reveal a lot about our inner life our character, and our ability to get through life. A couple of weeks ago, during um, the monthly Lausanne leadership training thing that I do, um, we had a guest speaker, Grace Samson Song, who came to speak, us, to, speak to us about self-leadership. Um, the concept, uh, she talked about the concept of emotional intelligence and the importance of cultivating this inner life as a leader. I actually went back to do a bit more research on my own and I found that besides IQ and EQ, According to psychologists, there are actually four types of intelligence. So IQ, which um, I'm sure many of you here are familiar with, is a measure of intellect and level of comprehension. So we need IQ to solve problems, to you know, do maths, to memorize things, to recall knowledge, um, and lessons we've learned. And the second thing is emotional intelligence, um, which measures our ability to maintain peace with others. Uh, to keep time, to be honest, respect boundaries, to be humble, genuine, and considerate. It represents our character. And that's EQ. The third is this, social intelligence. This is the measure and our ability to build a network of friends and maintain it over a long period of time. Our SQ represents our charisma. And people tend, who tend to have a higher EQ and SQ um, tend to go further in life than those with just pure IQ and, and not much of EQ and SQ. So the fourth is a bit of a newer paradigm, and it's AQ, adversity intelligence. So this is the measure of our ability to go through a rough patch in life and bounce back. You know, we come out of it without losing our minds. When we face with trials and troubles, our AQ determines who will give up who will abandon their family, or who will consider taking their own lives. Um, AQ is when we um, are able to be resilient and come back from, from our trials and uh, things that we go through in life and our problems. 
So what's my point? Each of us have blind spots and weak areas that we are unaware of. It's not enough to be self-aware or socially aware of our emotions or our tendencies, but we also need to be able to manage these emotions or reactions and how they're being expressed as we exercise our ability to choose what we say and do in relationship with others around us. You know, when life happens, our bursts of emotion and reactions can actually reveal what we truly believe about God, what we truly believe about others, and what we truly believe about ourselves. When these realities clash with others or with our circumstances, God often highlights these areas of our lives that are not in line with his authority and lordship in our lives. For example, um, when I was in the US recently, um, I felt extremely insecure and inadequate. I actually cried four out of the five days I was there um, because of God's work. Um, God was doing such a deep work in my life. Without even knowing, I had been um, comparing myself to the 11 other um, participants in the room. You know, the amazing achievements they had, the PhDs, the books they've written, the incredible work they're doing. Guys, I didn't even finish my university degree. <laughs> I was like, I am a nobody here. <laughs> And as we started talking about identity Christ, I realized that because I was preparing myself to go on maternity leave in the next few months, everything that qualified me to be there as a young leader with a growing sphere of influence through my work at this church, through my involvement with Activate Missions Conference, through the, uh, my involvement with the governance of Missions Interlink on the national leadership team, all of that was coming to an end. By the end of this year, every leadership position I had, every circle of influence that I was a part of would pause and put on hold for 12 months. If I no longer held these positions, if I no longer did these ministries as a leader, am I really supposed to be here? Have I picked the wrong person? Sure, I knew intellectually, my identity in Christ, that you know, who I am is not what I do, it's not my ministry, that I'm a child of God who is loved and accepted and all that jazz. But as I began to, and I'm continuing to transition into this new phase of life, um, this revealed a crack in my identity in Christ that I never knew was there. It's, it's like this, um, if you imagine four quadrants. I'm sorry I don't have a picture of this because I, I just thought of it this morning, but each of us have areas in our lives um, so that there's things that everybody knows about us. You know, everybody else knows about it. I know about it. Absolutely everything. So things like, I'm, I'm a female, you know, everything, my, I don't know, my hair's black, you know, whatever. Everything knows, everything that people know about you. And then there's also the second quadrant where uh, what others know about you, but you don't know about yourself. So these are things that, you know, your mentor might um, speaking to, uh, maybe a close friend, maybe a spouse, maybe um, your boss or even colleagues may speak into this area if we allow them to and if we you know, give them permission to. Um, and this is you know, where the iron sharpens iron thing comes in. Um, for example, like one of my friends, a few years ago, I was talking to one of my really close friends and I, I said to her, like, I've noticed that you're never able to sit in silence. Like, you always have to play music or you always have to do something with your hands. Like, what's, what was that? Tell me more about that. 
and actually led us to a conversation about her fear in needing to slow down, pause, and actually process the grief of one of her family members passing away. She didn't want to face that need to process it. Um, and it was something that she didn't realize she was doing, but I saw, and I was able to speak into that. And of course, then that, you know, that quadrant that gets a little bit smaller. Or another much more trivial example, um, I was traveling with a couple of my friends and they, they're maybe three or four year old at the time and we were checking in at the airport and I remember that kid was just like pointing at the, um, at the flight attendant at the counter and was like, why does her face look weird? Because <laughs> she had like really heavy makeup and we were like, oh my goodness, like sure, sure, and we like grabbed him. But it, that led to a conversation with his parents to say, you know, you're actually being rude. Like, you didn't know that, but, you're, you know, you're actually being really rude when you do that. So when things, things that people know about you that you don't know about yourself, and people, when we allow them to speak into it, um, it helps us to grow. And then there's the third quadrant where um, things that only you know about yourself. So this is, you know, this might be secret sins. It might be some feelings or emotions that you have, maybe your fears, maybe your dreams that you've never spoken about. So this is like a self-awareness kind of quadrant. And I guess the more, you know, you allow others to speak from the second quadrant, you get to grow in this area. And then the last one is this. The last quadrant is what only God knows about you. The deep, dark things that you're not even aware of about yourself. For me, this identity in Christ peace that sat, sat in this category. And I needed the Holy Spirit to shine his light into this space. When I had, uh, when no head knowledge or human wisdom could reveal these things to me, God spoke and the Holy Spirit not only brought it to my attention, but ministered healing and affirmation to my soul so that I could once again put Jesus, instead of what I do in my ministry, on the throne of my identity. You know, over time, these things that everybody knows about you and the things that you know about yourself will increase as the Lord shines his light in these spaces so that we can find healing and make changes to be more aligned with who Jesus has called us to be. So what areas of your life does the Spirit of God want to bring wisdom? It is not enough for us to have intellect, to rely on human wisdom, to look to the world for advice and affirmation. We need to invite the Spirit of wisdom to speak, to reveal our triggers, our blind spots, and the dark places of our soul where he is not sitting on the throne as a rightful ruler of our hearts and of our lives. This is what our church calls discipleship moments. And yes, we're working on a, a discipleship tool and thing so that we can kind of give it to you guys to, to use and to um, disciple one another and disciple, disciple yourselves. Um, hopefully it will be a cleaner and simpler tool that you can take away. Can you listen to a sermon and read self-help books, ask for advice from your family and friends. But there is only true wisdom, there is only power, release, and freedom when the Spirit of the Lord speaks and reveals the truth to you. What are your tendencies? What are your signature sins that you default to? What is your life story that has shaped you or generational dysfunctions that have affected you? Maybe you rely too heavily on your strengths and abilities instead of God. Maybe you have particular temptations or motivations, a drive that, or values that aren't quite aligned with God. Maybe you're like me and 
are affected by your um, stage or season of life without realizing. Invite the Spirit of God to speak into these areas. Because as the Apostle Paul says, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. We need to ask ourselves, where are our bursts of emotions coming from? Does it feel familiar? Does it relate to our trauma, our childhood, our generational dysfunctions? If these things are left unexamined, we can negatively affect the people around us, in our parenting, in our relationships, in our marriages, with, in our, you know, with our colleagues, in our, with our friends. If I could just get the um, worship team to get ready, that'd be great. Our inner lives are more telling of our spiritual maturity than our ministry, success, or leadership position. It's easy to invest in our IQ, but many of us have underdeveloped EQ, SQ, and AQ. So Asian parents, please expose your children to more than just academics. We need to work on our inner lives so that we can be the best representatives of Jesus, not just as a friend, but as a son or daughter, as a spouse, as a parent, colleague, employer, employee, neighbor, as members of our communities. Don't just go through life following after the most charismatic preachers, the most eloquent writers, and the most inspirational speakers. Head knowledge is great. The wisdom from God is far superior to wisdom from man. Has Jesus called you to step out of the boat to extravagantly obey him? To take courage and deal with a dark, painful, or blind spot in your life? Or are you just a nice Christian? You know, you do all the right things, sticking with what you know and what, what is safe. Because if we're not being guided by the Spirit of the living God, then what is setting us apart? So invite the Holy Spirit to speak into your inner life. Because the Spirit of the Lord is wisdom. He is alive, He speaks, and He's always doing something new. We must rise above the natural, relying on self-help and human wisdom so that we can tap into God help and hear what the Spirit of the Lord is wanting to say. Lord, I just thank you that you are a sovereign God. God, I know that you know us intimately. I thank you, God that you're so gentle with our souls. You're so patient with us, God. And Father, I just pray that as your church, God, as we journey with you, as we invite your spirit to speak to us, God, that you would, that you reveal things to us, God, that are stopping us from being good um, spouses, are stopping us from being good workers and friends, Lord. Shine your light to our hearts, God, so that we can be more and more like your son. Father, these dark spaces, that these dark places, that inner, deep, deep things that even we don't know about, God. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would speak wisdom and freedom and release into these spaces. God, help us to be well-rounded people who are able to represent you to the best of our abilities wherever we are. Church, if you um, 
I want in prayer, we will have the prayer team come up to the front now as we begin worship. If there's something that you've heard that has triggered you or you need prayer for, really want to invite you to come up and seek that prayer. As, as um, when two or three gathered, he is there and he is able to minister to you. So why don't we stand up now and we worship?